This week's TRN guest is Drew Povey, a leadership guru, leadership geek in his words. He's read over 650 books around leadership and works with organizations, businesses, schools, sports professionals, sports teams, been on TV, um, written three books, including his latest, which is When the Clouds Come, which is a great book about uh, resilience and thinking a little bit differently when times are a little bit tougher. Uh, we had a great chat about all things leadership, what he's learned about working in education, what maybe we could learn about uh, how we could teach our kids a little bit differently in different areas of focus. And really importantly on, on this concept of uh, organizational and personal leadership and coping with the various challenges that life and business and the markets uh, throw at us. Really interesting guy, could have spoken to him for hours. Uh, hope you enjoy it. A massive welcome onto the TRM podcast to Drew Povey. Thank you for joining us, Drew. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Calling from uh, Bolton? No, all the way from the People's Republic of Warrington today. <laughs> the bottom of my garden. Love it. So listen, we're going to get under the skin of leadership. You you um, you published your third book, I think it is, recently. Yes, that's uh, right when the clouds come and i'm really really interested to um understand i haven't written to why you went down that angle and it feels very incredibly appropriate for the time times that we're in but for those, anyone that hasn't heard of you just you, are you happy to just give a quick intro into uh what took you into the world of leadership because you work with all sorts of organizations public private sector sports organizations and uh, you've worked closely with a legend that is stuart pierce yes. um so what 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 took you to from um from where you set out to uh, to this place um so i'll do these things i'll do this quickly because they can be uh, a borathon and i'll try try not to do that you're probably best describing me as a leadership geek uh you were being very nice there but uh, leadership geeks probably the most accurate description uh done lots of different things started off in sport uh, elite sport coaching um then was doing education alongside the sport became a teacher thought what a teacher does is almost identical to what a coach does and then moved up in education and became a leader and found that what leaders do is the same as a teacher as it is the same as coaching and there were so many crossover bits that we could cherry pick and I was using all those different bits across um, each of those kind of jobs that I was involved with at the time and then as time went on kind of climbed the ladder and read lots on leadership observed a lot of it in sport obviously a lot in education and was producing my own stuff and it was never meant to go anywhere you know it was just meant to sit on my wall and it was stuff I'd observed stuff I'd used stuff that helped me and a couple of people were in my office saw it on the wall and was like what's that and I explained it and they're like that's really good and I was like well thanks I mean it helps me and then they were saying will you come and do a talk on this or would you you know help me a little bit maybe one-on-one and I was a bit kind of weirded out by that going, well, that was just kind of stuff I've got. I don't know whether it's, you know, that good. And then a great mentor of mine, uh, a guy called Jim, who's, you know, had some really high profile jobs over the years. He has always come from kind of an HR learning and development background. And he was looking at the stuff going, look, you know, I've been in this world all my career uh, and you should take it out there. So over time, um, I was doing a bit more and took it into the police and was like, I wonder if it works there. And of course, leadership's leadership so it did same in the nhs 
and same in business uh, as well. You know, I remember my first talking business. Um, I just had a group of people in front of me. I didn't really know where they'd come from. It was just like a leadership retreat that somebody said, can you come and do a session at? So I went down there um, did this session. And there were lots of people there from companies like Warner Brothers, BBC, Guardian News Group. I mean, I didn't find this out till after, Gordon, to be honest, which is a good thing. Otherwise, the nerves would have really kicked in, even though I get very yeah. nervous. And they yeah. came up at the end and said, this stuff's great. It's fresh. It's new. It's different. And I was like, well, yeah, because I've, I've written it. So you won't have seen it anywhere. I said, oh, will you come and do this? And it, it just kind of went out over time. So it's just a great job, you know, working with fantastic people, sharing ideas, learning as we go. You know, learning's always a two-way street. And just living in that leadership world and just trying to help people as much as I can. And, you know, there seems to be a, a thirst for it out there. I remember, I think it was the CEO of Unilever said, there's two things we need more of in the world. One is trees and the other is leadership. Um, I don't know how I create, connected the dots between those two things, but I think he's probably right. Um, yeah. So um, I'll leave the trees to other people, but the leadership stuff is right up my street. That's right. Now, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's more than two, but uh, I like I like the way you put it together. Yeah. But, but, you know, when you were early doors in your career, was it was it because you were inspired by particular people that, that got you into the leadership bit? Or is it just or were you just trying to work it out in terms of how do you unlock the potential? And yeah, I, I think if we go back to what I was like at school, I wasn't, you know, the best behaved student. I had a learning difficulty that was never picked up on. And I think I was amazed at, at how how much of an impact uh, somebody else can have on someone or a group of people yeah and uh, you know I know that 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 impact was big for me there were some teachers that would like see me fly and then there's other teachers quite frankly I was a pain in the backside for and they were kicking me out of the lessons and there was something happening in my head at an early age and it was my rugby coach that said right you know I was a reasonable rugby player I wasn't brilliant I wasn't going to change the world but I was reasonable and he was like this weekend come and do a coaching course and uh, it was interesting because when I went down to do that coaching course, I was like, why would I want to do this? You know, I'm a young lad. I'd rather be hanging about with my mates on the park or whatever than actually go into a coach course. But I got involved in it and, you know, felt I could do it and then very quickly picked up my own team. And there was this whole idea of kind of mindset and, and finding what unlocks an individual or what unlocks yeah. a team. I was kind of fascinated by it, probably because I'd struggled myself and worked some things out about you know, the benefit of hard work. And I know that gets peddled a lot, but I love the Dr. Angela Duckworth stuff from her book, Grit. You know, that idea that effort does count twice. Um, and I think using that kind of thought process, I just found it directly applicable to coaching and then was applying it to my own life and seeing it work with, you know, young yeah. athletes and then very quickly got taken into elite sport where I was seeing it even more than ever and then went into education and saw well this is the same with kids you know attitude yeah. is so significant and the mindset we have towards things and life in general is so significant and then of course in a leadership context helping people to think things through and gaining the right attitude and mindset was big um so I would say that that has always been a thread through um and, and always been something I've noticed and probably now more than ever before what do you think? What, what do you think um, with your experience in education? What, what do you think we're missing out on when it comes to the national curriculum in helping um, kids as they head, head into the teenage years, which is where I got very lost? Um, <laughs> just from a lead, whether it's the personal leadership or um, you know lead, leading a fulfilling life, 
what are we missing? Yeah, I think there's a there's a, a big piece of work in the world. This isn't just an education thing. I think it's a life education thing where I'm not always quite sure we're aware of where we're actually at. Mm. You know, if you look at, um, the, you know, the whole world, which is taking off of mindfulness and meditation, really understanding how we're feeling, which we do talk about in the book. I'm fascinated by a bank of research called Emo Diversity. Because very often, you know, if you, you might have woken up this morning gone, you might have gone, yeah, I feel great today. And that's it. We label it as I feel good or we don't feel so good. And we go, I feel bad today. But really understanding what's happening there and what are the feelings? Am I, mean, I just a bit tired or is it just a bit of frustration rather than giving it the big labels? And I don't always think we live live. I think sometimes we, uh, well, a lot of the time we're living in the future about what might happen and stressing over that, or we're living in the past and beating ourselves up for what's happened, mm. but actually being exactly where we are, understanding that, you know, it's the Eckhart Tolle stuff, the power of now, but really being where you are and understanding where you are. And I think that for the whole world would be significant. And I think that would be very useful in education. Um, you know, I've been working in education for many years you know there's a there's big question marks about how fit for purpose it is you know speaking mm -hmm. at a conference last week the global marketing society conference and listening to what's happening with the future of work and ai and all these elements and trying to track that back to what happens in our education system there's not a lot of parallels there and you know some skills that we need to give young people to to mm -hmm. live i think are, i think are really significant and, you know, I don't, this isn't, uh, you know, a, a real kicking of education because what our teachers do in schools every day is is quite magnificent. You know, they'll, they'll be having conversations that we'll see, you know, kids completely changing mindsets and shifting opinions and observing other perspectives. So there's so many fantastic things. But in terms of the actual system, we've got to keep asking, like, on, a, on an annual basis, is this system setting our young people up for the world that exists outside of education? And, mm -hmm. and are we still wedded to an old model of education or what we used to need kids to do? Or are we giving kids the skills to be able to survive in, in, in the modern world outside of the school gates? And that for me is gonna be an ongoing challenge both now and probably even more so into the future. Yeah, no, I love, I love that. And, and I wanna, flip it a bit forward to the, the work you do now. You, you you wrote your book, When the Clouds Come, and it talks about the coping piece. I was having a fascinating conversation over the weekend about, about the next generation who come into the workplace and, and to what extent they're equipped to cope with all the stuff that, that that's uh, hitting us left, right and centre and and, uh, and is just part of life. Why, because why, your second book was around leadership, why did you focus on When the Clouds Come, which is all about dealing with the the uh, more challenging aspects of life. Yeah, I, I just think it was needed. You know, I'm I am heavily dyslexic. Okay, so writing a book for me is not something I get up in the morning and go, "Yay, I'm writing a book today." Uh, because you know, reading and writing is going to be difficult. Even though I've read over 650 books, you find a way to do that, and I use audio books. Yeah. You know, for writing a book, you find a way to do things by you know working with uh, you know a co-author, someone who, who likes the writing side of it. And there's a skills element there that we forget sometimes. We've not got to be all things to all people. We've not got to be able to do everything. But it was a passion. You know, if, if the why is strong enough, the what 
will be worked out is the point I'm making. And for me, you know, you've got to find a way of actually being able to do that book. And, and the why for me was for a long time, I think we listened to podcasts of uber successful people. And of course, there's great learning. We see people on stages. They've done amazing things. They've won the gold medal. They've climbed the mountain. That's incredible. That's exciting. Of course, success leaves tracks and they'll always be learning from that. But what all human beings will have in their life are difficult moments. Mm. You know, they we will all have those horrible times when we're struggling or the brown, smelly, sticky stuff has hit the fan. And we've got to deal with those moments. And for me, there's things I'd noticed from my own life of, you know, having ups and downs like we all do. And by the way, I've not had, you know, the most difficult of lives and I would never pretend to, but I've had challenges in there and there's been difficult moments. And what do we do in those times? And I've always mm. been fascinated by that. And I've produced some materials that I'm working on with teams and working on with individuals. And they were going, hey, Drew, this stuff is really working. It really helps. And that's what I do. I create material because that's how my brain works. My little dyslexic brain is grafting away and connecting dots and producing stuff that I think is going to help people. Then I go out and try it and test it and people were coming back and I was shifting it and moving it. But the feedback was this is good stuff. It's helping us. And therefore, because I had a load of stuff, I just wanted to cram it all into a book yeah. and a hell of a lot of stuff in there and lots of hours of learning and failing and making mistakes, but coming up with some stuff that I thought, oh, this this is this is working, you know. And then it was a case of you've got to put it in a book and you've got to put it out there. And um, that process is always interesting, you know, talking things through with people, producing something, kicking stuff out, bringing stuff back in, redrafting stuff, trying to make it work, and then trying to produce something that would be the most useful thing. So mm. with this book that I wrote with that brilliant writer and thinker, Sam Draper, you know, we wanted to do, okay, some people are going to sit down on holiday, which a lot of people have. They picked it up at WH Smith at the airport or train stations, and they read it in entirety. Great. But we also wanted to have something that could be a bit of a, a life survival guide, if you like, where you could pick it up and you could open it up to a section and go, this is where I am at the moment. What's in here to help me? And I was working with an entrepreneur um, who's become a really good friend of mine who I've worked with for years. And, and he was sharing a story with me just last week. He said, you know, I was having one of those moments in that day. He's read the book fully, really enjoyed it. But he said, what was great about the book is I went straight to your contents page. It's divided up into literally almost every couple of pages. I was in that moment, scanned through, found the bit, opened it up, read it and went, yes, that's what I need to do. And, and that's why you write a book, isn't it? You want to write a book so it has that positive impact in the world. And that's why we did it. And that's why, you know, we're so keen to get as many people to get their hands on it, not to see it climb a chart or any stuff like that. It's literally to help people join those difficult moments. So that was the idea behind it. And that's why we're still working to promote it, to say, look, there's things in there that will help you. Life's tough. So I hope this does help you. So we're trying to get it in as many hands as possible. So, so there's a lot of business leaders list, listen to this podcast and uh, and employers, so people responsible for teams. Uh, whatever we've got coming our way in 2023, it'll have its ups and downs. That's the understatement of the year. But uh, um, but our membership actually is broadly pretty positive about the way forward. But but can you give us some examples of you if you were a business leader heading into 2023, knowing you know the markets are different, 
softened a little bit from where they were. What, what, what are the, some of the sort of practical things that we can and should be doing? Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's, you know, there's a there's a big section at, at the front of the book which talks about the power of uncertainty. Yeah. You know, without wanting, you know, there is a spoiler alert if you're going to buy the book. But, you know, when you talk to people about uncertainty, take the start of the pandemic, you know, the word uncertainty was banded around with the word unprecedented um, and pandemic. You know, they were the three biggest words that were almost on every, you know, uh, news article. You know, everything that was written was centered around those three words. And the more I started looking at uncertainty, you know, there's a negative connotation to that straight away. So what I say to people is the first human response to uncertainty is negativity and people will worry in uncertain moments. And that's OK. People will be fearful, you know, mm-hmm. of, of what can happen during those moments. People will feel out the comfort zone. And I think exploring that is a useful thing because pretending mm-hmm. it doesn't happen is never good. I always believe label something, be aware, as we were talking about earlier, not just of how we're feeling, but what this situation is doing to everybody involved in it. You know, when you've got shifts in the economy and you've got changes in government and you've got a pandemic, there's lots mm-hmm. of moving parts, but also looking at the other side of that, you know, there's three statements in there. You know, one of them is uncertainty is where innovation lives. You know, and thinking about that, I think could be really helpful for people because, you know, nothing great has ever happened without there being uncertainty. Mm. You know, no, we, you're right. we yeah. never get innovation without uncertainty. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a part and parcel of it. So when we're in uncertain times, I understand the worry, fear and feeling out of the comfort zone, get that. But that's where great things are done. And that's also uncertainty is where we learn and grow. So so by having these things to be thinking about as well, I just think it balances our thinking out. And that kind of hope will ultimately give people more power and it will give people more of a sense of control and hopefully get people to be, you know, even marginally more excited about Mm -hmm. what could happen. So. I think helping people think about how to do that. And there's another section, which is all about helping you think at a higher level, which is uh, something I've used, you know, with in, in sport and in business. So hopefully there's lots of different things in the book, as well as a whole section on how yeah. to be courageous. You know, I don't really think we understand that or we don't understand what resilience is. Mm-hmm. There's lots of elements that I think if it's explored, we can actually start to make a bit more sense of it. And most importantly, Gordon, we can find ourselves going, so why can't I do that? I could mm. do that. Yeah. And I think that, and I hate the word empowerment for a number of reasons, because it makes it look like, you know, the powerful in a business can sprinkle some pixie dust on those who work below them. Yeah. You know, yeah. they can decide where the Christmas party is or what colour the walls are in the toilets or whatever. But I mean, genuinely, giving people some power back in their lives to go, do you know what? You know, there's a lot more that I can influence here than perhaps I first realised. Mm-hmm. When you were talking about the uh, the almost fl- flipping the uncertainty into an opportunity to be creative, it, it just got me thinking about the uh, pandemic and lockdown one where, again, if I think about our community at the Recruitment Network, it was phenomenal uncertainty, a lot of concern about <coughs> business survival, et cetera, as well as the everything else that came with it but the um the creativity and the innovation that we saw 
the way our communities support each other was utterly phenomenal. Is that is that once you've done it, is that something learned and that you keep in your keep in your toolkit? As in, absolutely, absolutely. Because I think the more you go through something like a difficult time, the more yeah. if you're smart, you'll become resilient. Yeah. Sometimes in life, we don't really get curious about what's happened. You know, if something goes wrong, we might unpack that. If it's yeah. really wrong, we'll just hide it away kind of thing. And no one's noticed. But you've got to yeah. walk back and learn from it. And the same when you're doing well, you know, as well. I was doing a, um, a talk with uh, Francois Pinar, the, the great Francois Pinar, um, like probably five years ago now. And at the end, we did a Q&A. Both did a separate session. We did a Q&A at the end. And the audience said to me, Drew, you're a leadership geek. You know, tell us, uh, tell us a great piece of advice. And I've said, right, when things go really badly wrong, undress it unpick it, learn from it. You'll learn, you will unlearn some stuff, you know, get rid of that because that ain't helping. And you'll yeah. relearn some better ways of doing it. And I got a little round of applause. Um, and then Francois Pinar came in after me and went, I agree with everything Drew's just said, which was nice, Good. obviously. Because he's a lot, well, yeah. yeah, because he's a lot bigger than me, frankly, Gordon. Uh, but then he went on to say, you know, it's the same at the other end of the spectrum. You know, when when things go really well and you win the World Cup, what do you do? Yeah. Well, very often we just go, that's amazing. Let's go to the pub. Or we go, nice one. Thumbs up. Let's move on. Actually, we've got to get curious. And I, and I think to be more curious, and it, again, all this links back to that awareness, right? What has happened? What can we take from this? Let's get curious about it. And then we can be better served into the future. We can know as well that we've got through those difficult times. Yeah. They were probably horrible, but we know we'll get through them. We have got through them, so we'll get through them again. And, Joe, I agree with what you were saying there. I was just creating a parallel, you know, within your network about you know, it was a really difficult moment, but, wow, some incredible things happened. And you know, mm. I got really fed up and stopped watching the news during the pandemic because it was just negative, 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 negative stuff. And even the day the vaccine was revealed, you know, like there was the 10 minute segment it was like nine and a half minutes of doom and misery and depression yeah. and then suddenly at the end they went oh and the you know the vaccine's been released today that will hopefully see the end of the pandemic good evening and it was kind of like what a missed opportunity i saw so much good in the world during the pandemic you know people next door to each other you know checking in on each other and doing you know doorstep drops and local radio stations starting and and so much pulling together and celebrating the nhs let's not forget that stuff too because when human beings get in a difficult spot and there's been a lot written about this you know victor frankl wrote the great book man's search for meaning and that was you know in the in the concentration camps you know really difficult moments there is a lot of stuff that we know that human beings step up and do incredible things. That's got to be a big take home message in that. Not forgetting those things when we go through a difficult time, because we'll find a way through. And, you know, like the title of the book suggests, the clouds do come. Of course, they're going to come. They're going to come mm. for us personally. They're going to come for us professionally. Well, they won't stay forever. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're. Um... You know, you you help organisations in the UK and internationally, and you work with some extraordinary organisations over the years. You you and you're a, in your words a leadership geek. So you you you've got an ability to articulate and draw from all these all these learnings and principles and the things that have, have, have shaped your 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 thinking. As a uh, how do you help business leaders to actually 
bring out bring out the same message in a way that's compelling and inspiring as as, as you can as you do day and day out? Yeah, I think it's there's, a, there's probably a couple of answers to that. One is again really explore what's happening you know, really connect to it. Because sometimes when we are a business leader and we're maybe not as connected to the front line as perhaps we once were, we've got to understand what's happening on the front line. So therefore, as we message down, as we communicate, and we should be connecting with our people by doing those two things, then it should be as accurate as possible. We've all seen it when we get a message coming down. We even see this in politics when a message comes down and they're absolutely 100% thinking it's accurate and we're going, that is not how life looks from our perspective, people. You're communicating that down to us. So I think that's key. And I also think there's more and more leaders asking me, CEOs, um, entrepreneurs, leaders of even small, you know, smaller businesses are asking for presentation skills. You know, how we put this across, because I often say there's a big difference between communication and information. So some people just get the info and dump it out. No, it needs to be communicated. Uh, John Maxwell wrote a great book called Everyone Communicates, Few Connect. So I think information is the lowest level. Communications next up. Connection Mm. and really getting to the same common ground as the people we're talking to and gaining a level of understanding that's probably the highest level and being able to articulate that across and a Mm. lot of that is not about actually leaders put all the pressure on themselves to know and then to say what they know but very often the answers lie with our people that are are working for us (laughs) so actually the it's not a case of saying it's a case of asking yeah tell it's an ask and it's really good questions and then starting up dialogue with people in the business to create a shared understanding and also a shared way forward um i was doing a conference two weeks ago and there's 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 some great stats in a a book called the idea driven organization where the latest edition of that book says there's around 80 percent of the best ideas in the highest performing organizations come from the front line 80% of the best ideas, highest performing organizations come from the front line. And obviously the reason for that is because they're the ones doing the job. And and I think there's very often leaders feel this pressure to know the answers, to communicate and articulate everything well, where actually sometimes it's about saying, look, you're the superstars in this business, the ones close to it, what's going on? And more importantly, what do you think we need to do? And yeah. what we know about human beings are that they're not they're not shy in, in telling us what they think. Uh, we yeah. see that on social media every day. But actually, human beings love to help. I was coaching someone last week, Gordon, and, you know, they were saying, oh, I don't really want to ask for help. And I was like, but human beings like to help. And they're like, I know, but it's... And I was like, right, how many times have you ever stopped your car and asked for directions and someone told you where to go? People don't. They will stop. They will get maps out. They will even offer to jump in the car with you, maybe less so in today's society. But I've had a few people go, listen, I'm going that way. I'll jump in with you. I'll take you that way. Human beings do like to help. So sometimes I think the leadership dynamic is is less about the old hierarchical view of leadership, all knowing, all seeing, all doing, and actually getting the people who are on the front line to be all seeing, all knowing, all doing and create the strategy. Yeah, no, it, it, it's interesting because I, I, I learned to, I was lucky enough to go to the States a few years ago to look at world-class customer obsessive organizations and, and, and they have exactly the mind, 
same mindset which says the people who know most the people talking day in day out to the customers the further yeah. away you are from that um the, the less important you are and yeah. they they are just questioning machines you know they just say we've got all this frontline brain power and ideas if we treat them right and we ask the right questions then the ideas will come you're absolutely spot on i mean we say don't we people are the greatest asset Oh, you've heard that one before. People won't think about it. Again, it doesn't become conscious. We don't be really aware of it. We just go, people are the greatest asset. Well, of course they are. Yeah, we can look at that, you know, numerically, financially. They are our greatest asset. But are we treating them like the greatest asset? Are we getting yeah. the most out of them like the greatest asset? Because they're there and they'll tell you. And they're wanting to help. They want the business to do well. Mm. Yeah, no, I love it. love it. Um, if you, <laughs> this is going to be a very unfair question, Drew, but it's been bugging me ever since you've read 650 books. Um, if you can give us three that we've got to read, apart from your own, obviously, When the Clouds Come, that's a no-brainer. But... Yeah, 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 I'd have to say that one, wouldn't I? Um, oh, gosh, that is a difficult question to ask me. Um, I'll go with some authors. Go on. Um, because I think that then people can go and read their books. I think John Maxwell's great. He's not everyone's cup of tea, but he's probably the number one leadership author, authority in terms of sales. He's written loads of books. John Maxwell's written some great stuff. I think Everyone Communicates Few Connect is, is a great book. Um, I think his Winning With People stuff is great. So I, I like everything by him, um, almost everything by him, not quite everything, but pretty much. Um, I really like Tom Peters. Um, you know, another great uh, American business guy, written a lot on excellence. Yeah. In Search of Excellence, the Excellence Dividend. Um, and I like him because he's just not bothered what people say. He won't, he won't, um, he won't curtail what he's going to say because it might not be a trendy thing to say. He just says it. So I really like him. And he's, and by his own admission, he's an irritable older man now who says what he thinks. And for the third one, um, I need to go with someone English, don't I, really? Because I keep thinking. Think so. think so. Yeah, yeah. I like Matthew Syed. I've shared the stage with Matthew a couple of times, and he's a great thinker. And his books, things like Bounce, Black Box Thinking is a great book. Rebel Ideas, um, that was a recent Rebel, one. That was, well, that was but, the one I was just going to go on to. And I think Rebel Ideas is, a, is needed in business. You know, as, yeah. as a dyslexic, myself you know i can tell you the strength of how my mind works um but it has weak points in other areas and i think accepting cognitive and neurodiversity and embracing that within teams we don't want people thinking in the same way and that's the danger isn't it in, you know in terms of recruitment which you guys will be the expert on you know likes to attract and you can go, I really like this person. Well, that's because they're thinking and doing and saying yeah. in the same way that yeah. you think, do and say. Yeah. So you yeah. have to be really careful with it. So there's there's three authors. Yeah, no, Yeah, no, we had Matthew Serb come and talk to talk to our members, actually. He's very, very clever man. He is uh, very bright. He seems, and he seems to want to talk brilliantly about pretty much every subject. Um, oh, yeah, a vast mind. He's got like a mind the size of a planet. <laughs> um no i love it listen andrew how can people um work with you obviously they can reach out with you on to linkedin and etc but but what sort of things might my organizations do with you 
Yeah, uh, I do three things across all the sectors. So we do get very busy, which I'm not saying is a socially proofing, you know, thing, but I'm saying it because because we do coaching and I think some people just do coaching um we get that work and then we do some keynotes we're careful with the keynotes because i find them utterly exhausting we do them but you know there's a lot goes into those and then we created this thing where we work with teams for um almost like a team coach i come in and do a ted talk and it's to normally to the monthly exec team meeting which is quite cool because everybody gets a bit of learning so we've got three kind of products if you like but because we work in all the sectors, police, NHS, business, sport, education, some charity work as well, there's quite a big funnel of work. And people can get in touch with us through the website. It's just Drew Povey on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and TikTok. Gordon, as well, yeah. we we ventured onto TikTok. This I is you, Drew. Yeah. yeah. I know. Well, it's because I work with TikTok. And at the end of it, they were like, yeah, great session. Why don't you come on TikTok? And I'm like, well, seriously, like, look at me. Do I look like I should be on TikTok? And they explained the whole learn on TikTok thing. And they gave me the head of creation. It was um, hilarious for my kids, at least. What, what are you doing with the head of creation at TikTok? Well, they taught me how to use it. So I am on TikTok. I think it's a great platform, actually. It's probably my favorite, to be honest, even though I didn't want to go on it. So, yeah, get in touch with us there. And that's pretty much what we do. Love it, Drew. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I've just realized one thing. My... Uh... My family, for some reason, got a motto in Latin is post nubes lux, which means after the clouds, there is light. But the missing bit was about knowing what the hell to do when the clouds arrive, which is why I need your book. So spot on. I love that. I love that. I'm going to nick that phrase as well. Thanks, Gordon. <laughs> Great to see you. We would love to hear your feedback, so please take a moment to rate our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.